Hey everyone, Greg here, and welcome to another week of See It or Shove It. Each week I give you my opinion on the latest film releases, and if they are good, I'll advise you to see it. If they aren't good, then well, it's my duty to suffer through them so you don't have to. Joining me this week is my silent co-host, my pitbull dozer, who's currently laying on me and needing attention. But he won't get in the way of this episode. This week, I launch a new occasional segment that was suggested by a loyal listener, Kevin, in New York. I will go back into the vault and give a second look at a film I either hated while everyone else loved, or vice versa, or it was a movie I avoided for one reason or another, but more on that later. Now, let's get started on this week's show. This week at the movies, a trio of stars try to clear their names in a murder— while also discovering a fascist plot in Amsterdam. A grouchy and introverted bookstore owner gets an awakening in the storied life of A.J. Fickery. A teen bonds with an elderly man in Mr. Harrigan's phone. And a singing crocodile tries to overcome stage fright in Lyle Lyle Crocodile. First up is director David O. Russell's latest star-studded comedy. This is Amsterdam. You don't get here starting a long time ago so two soldiers and the nurse found ourselves in amsterdam we formed a pact and we swore to protect each other no matter what Spanning from 1918 to 1933, Amsterdam tells the story of Bert, Valerie, and Harold, played by Oscar winner Christian Bale, Oscar nominee Margot Robbie, and John David Washington. The trio meet when Bert and Harold were serving in World War I and were injured during the war. They met Valerie when she was the nurse who cared for them in the infirmary. They soon become embroiled in controversy when Bert and Harold are accused of a murder they didn't commit. While on the run, trying to clear their names, they reconnect with Valerie and discover a suspicious fascist plot to overthrow the government. Can the three get to the truth before those who are after them exterminate them? I give this movie a... Shove it. Okay, listen to this cast. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Oscar winner Rami Malek, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, Taylor Swift, Zoe Saldana, Alessandro Nivola, Timothy Oliphant, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, and the great Robert De Niro. That's a dozen talented actors and Taylor Swift. One would think this movie would be a rollicking good time. Trust me, it's trash. Two hours and 15 minutes of me sitting there saying, what the hell is this about? If my description sounded convoluted or missing some information, believe me, it was. I barely understood what it was about. There is a running joke about a glass eye that wasn't funny the first time it fell out of Christian Bale's skull, and it wasn't funny the tenth time it happened. The confusing plot is neither as important or as clever as it thinks it is. David O. Russell has been known to make good-to-great films, including Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, and The Fighter. This has got to be the worst of his library. Is it technically one of the worst of the year? No. It's a well-made film, 
But I do get extra cranky when the movie is this bad and it is made by people who should know better. Don't bother with this one at all. Next up is the story of an ornery bookstore owner whose life is changed when an orphan is left in his care. This is the storied life of A.J. Fickery. Mr. Fickery, why don't you tell me something about your lifestyle? I'm 39 years old. I live alone. I subsist on a diet of frozen entrees. I'm not what you'd call an alcoholic, but I like to drink until I pass out at least once a week. And since my wife died, I hate my work. Start with exercise. Okay. Kunal Nayar, best known as Raj on The Big Bang Theory, plays the title character, an alcoholic bookstore owner in the small island town of Alice Island, Massachusetts. He seems to despise both his customers and the books within his shop. The source of such cantankerousness? His wife has recently died, and he is, as Bono of U2 once sang, stuck in a moment that he can't get out of. One day, following a drunken binge, he discovers his prized possession, a first edition copy of Edgar Allan Poe's Tamerlane, has gone missing. He goes to the local police, Nick, played by David Arquette, who has no leads and none of the local people seem to be in a hurry to help him either. His in-laws, played by Mad Men's Christina Hendricks and Scandal's Scott Foley, suggest they may have accidentally discarded it. Life changes for AJ when a 25-month-old girl is left in his bookshop with a note from her mother. He eventually adopts the girl and raises her on his own, and later, with the help of his then-girlfriend and eventual wife, Amelia, played by Pretty Little Liars star Lucy Hale. The film then shows the trials and tribulations of A.J. Fickery. Is it all enough to break down the wall that A.J. has built around him? I give this film a... Shove it. Here's another one that left me feeling, so what, who cares? With a more than capable cast, you'd think the film would at least be charming. Nope, not at all. It was a boring mess of a film. Nayar does what he can in a generic role, but there is no chemistry at all between him and Hale. I didn't buy their relationship once. She is a cute, attractive, friendly woman, yet she goes out of her way to travel to this island to be treated like garbage by this grump? Yeah, I don't think so. The secondary characters and storylines did not get the attention they deserve, and then when they came to the forefront, it felt like information was missing. Now, this is based on a best-selling novel, and I suppose maybe the book is enjoyable since it was so popular, but something definitely got lost in the transition to the big screen. This is another one you can pretend doesn't exist. New to Netflix is the latest spooky adaptation of a Stephen King novella. This is Mr. Harrigan's phone. He's a good man, but you didn't want to be on his bad side. It's Mr. Harrigan, but anything to do with anyone dying, that made me an accessory. When wealthy Mr. Harrigan, played by Donald Sutherland, hires young Craig, played by Jaden Martell of the It film series, the two begin to bond over Craig reading books to Mr. Harrigan. They use their time together to discuss the themes of the books Craig reads 
as well as life lessons Mr. Harrigan imparts on the young boy. When Craig tells him how he's bullied in school and shy to approach girls, Mr. Harrigan teaches him how to be ruthless to get whatever he wants. Lessons learned, no doubt, during his time as a ruthless corporate leader. Each year, Mr. Harrigan gives Craig a scratch-off ticket. When one of them hits it big with a $3,000 prize, Craig wants to take a portion of it to buy an electronic that is new to the scene, an iPhone. He thinks this will make him more popular in school, and it does. He also buys Mr. Harrigan one and teaches him how to use it. Soon after, Mr. Harrigan passes away and Craig buries the phone in the casket with the deceased. It doesn't take long before he starts receiving text messages from beyond, and strange occurrences begin happening in his life. I give this film a... Mild See It. The film was a tad bit slow in parts, but the relationship between the two is sweet. Seeing what each generation brings to the other was nice to see. And when strange things start to happen, I was invested enough to stay with it to the end to find out what was going on. However, this being based off Stephen King, I would have liked for it to be creepier than it was. It would have been nice to have the tension ratcheted up a bit. It's not a great movie, but it's good enough for a quick watch on a night in. For our final featured film this week, it's the big screen adaptation of a popular children's book. This is Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Josh, time to wake up. He's not dangerous. He's a crocodile. He's too small and neat like me. Hey, you awake yet? He can't talk, but he can sing. At the top of the world tonight, when no one else the film opens with Hector P. Valenti, played by Oscar winner Javier Bardem. Hector is desperate to find a new magic act when he stumbles across a singing crocodile at an exotic animal shop. Hector names him Lyle, voiced by superstar singer Sean Mendez and trains him to perform in a showcase act that he will unveil at a local theater. When Lyle gets on stage, he suffers from severe stage fright, and the audience turns on Hector, leaving him to travel on the road to make money. Promising Lyle that he will return, he leaves him in the attic. A year and a half later, a new family moves into the house on 88th Street. The prims consist of a math teacher dad, played by Scott McNary, cookbook author Mom, played by Constance Wu, of Hustlers and Fresh Off the Boat fame, and their insecure son, Josh, played by Winslow Fegley. Josh is extremely anxious about living in hectic New York City. He's concerned about the crime, his new school, and any other act or sound he sees or hears after they arrive. The basement apartment of their building is occupied by Mr. Grumps, played by Brett Gelman, who lives alone with his cat Loretta, and is extremely cranky toward the new family. One night, Josh discovers Lyle in the attic, which causes a panic until Lyle rescues him from a very precarious situation. It's not long until Josh's mom discovers Lyle. Will Lyle become a member of the family, or will Mr. Grumps interfere and have Lyle removed? I give this film a... See it.
What a charming film this was. It was lighthearted, fun, and touching. I enjoyed every minute, and before seeing it, I was quite sure I would not enjoy it. I'm usually very finicky when it comes to children's films. I find them either to be filled with toilet humor, or they make adults look like idiots, which drives me nuts. This was just a nice, pleasant viewing experience. Well, minus the toddler behind me occasionally tossing an an outburst every 20 minutes. For a second, I considered turning into Mr. Grumps myself. Mendez is terrific as the singing voice of Lyle. It's hard to tell if he has a future as an actor or a voiceover artist because all he did was sing songs, so it wasn't much of a stretch, but he was great at it. The songs were very catchy and fun. They were written by the songwriting team behind The Greatest Showman. Constance Wu and Scott McNary were terrific as Josh's parents, as was the young Fegley as Josh. It was also fun to see Bardem in a role that was this light as opposed to his usual darker fare. This really is a great film for families to see together. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Amsterdam is in theaters now and is a shove-it. The storied life of A.J. Fickery is in theaters now and is a shove-it. Mr. Harrigan's phone is on Netflix now and is a mild see-it. And Lyle Lyle Crocodile is in theaters now and is a see-it, and it's also my pick of the week. And now it's time for my lightning round reviews of some additional movies in my segment called Quick Picks. Something very odd happened with this week's Quick Picks. They were almost the identical same movie. Both films involve star-crossed lovers, fate, a New Year's Eve wedding, and several mishaps along the way. About Fate stars Emma Roberts and Thomas Mann and is available for rental now and is a see-it. And Ask Me to Dance stars Brianna Evigan and Tom Malloy and is in theaters now and is a see-it. While both are enjoyable to watch, About Fate is the better of the two if you're going to make a decision between the two. And now, this week, I'd like to introduce a new segment to the podcast. Loyal listener Kevin in New York wrote in and suggested I revisit older films, and I thought about how I could organically integrate that into the podcast. So I've decided to look at films that, for whatever reason, I hated while everyone else loved, or vice versa, or I'll look at films I avoided in my younger years that have held up over time. This is Be Kind, Rewind. In October 1978, a film took the world by storm by terrifying audiences and would eventually become a three-quarter billion dollar grossing franchise that is set to continue to rock the box office next week. This is John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Michael? 
Last week, I was able to watch the original 1978 thriller in the movie theater. It was re-released in anticipation of the allegedly final chapter of the series, Halloween Ends, which comes out this week. And let me tell you, I can see why this was a hit in the 70s. As a child, and basically for the first part of my adult life, I was such a wuss when it came to... Well, actually, when it came to many things, but especially horror movies. So I avoided watching this film until a few years ago. As a kid, I remember seeing the image of Michael Myers as a ghost wearing the eyeglasses of his latest victim, and it terrified me. The story begins with a young Michael Myers slashing the hell out of his babysitter and then flashes forward 15 years later, and Michael has escaped the mental institution and is out for revenge on his hometown. The film creates so much tension during the first three quarters before going all in during the final 20 minutes or so as Michael terrorizes the queen of horror, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's always great in whatever she does, even to this day. The franchise has gone through many editions, and Michael has been defeated many times. I believe once he even got his head chopped off. However, when Jamie Lee Curtis came back to the franchise in the reboot trilogy in... 2018, the writers pretended the previous storylines were null and void and considered this to be a continuation of the storyline after 1981's Halloween 2. It worked. 2017's Halloween reboot was a phenomenal success, and it was also a quality film. 2021's Halloween Kills did suffer from middle film syndrome and didn't succeed as well as the previous film did, So here's hoping Halloween Ends gives this franchise the ending it deserves. But by the looks of the trailer, I think it will. Like I said, for most of my life, I was petrified to watch horror films. That all changed in September 2017 when I saw It Chapter 1 in the theaters and was, in fact, terrified. But I also realized how much fun it is to be scared in a dark theater. Now I'm always excited to see a horror film that is about to be released. So you can imagine how excited I am to go to the movies next week to see the latest Halloween film. That's it for Be Kind, Rewind. This segment will alternate the segment slot with Binge It or Singe It in future episodes. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I'm very grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family in person and on social media. As always, I appreciate all of your support. On deck next week, Jamie Lee Curtis is determined to finally kill Michael Myers and Halloween ends, and Mila Kunis is the luckiest girl alive. Follow me on Instagram at BrewstersDad73 and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. I'll catch you next time, and have a great week, everyone. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.